At, at times, there are things we just don't know. Um, I was traveling back from East Brainerd late last night with one of my children, and we were talking about fishing, and he was asking me when it got cold, uh, what's the best place to fish and what's the best lures to use, and I don't know. And so there are times in life you just don't know kind of things to do or what to do and you need to get more information. But then there's other times in life when you may know what to do and you just don't do it. Imagine this morning with me. I'll, I'll get my chair back out, but let's change it just a little bit for a second. Imagine with me this morning that you go into the doctor's office and you've been suffering some ailment. You're not quite sure what's wrong. And let's say you go in and the doctor does a full workup and the doctor comes back in and sits down and says, great news, I have figured out what is wrong. And he gives you the diagnosis of what's wrong and just sits there and looks at you. How angry and frustrated would you be if there's no treatment, no medication, no referral, but the doctor just simply tells you, hey, Here's what's wrong. It may blow your minds to know, probably not really, that oftentimes folks who have come in for counseling and sat in the counseling chair, that the session goes something like this. We sit and we meet and we talk. And let's say this person's life is just a mess and it's just they're just entangled with all these things. And we spend time and we... We begin to untangle things and we get a plan to move forward. And those plans aren't exhaustive in the beginning. There's just small steps that you need to take. Would it surprise you to know that many times, oftentimes, people come back in and guess what they've done that week? Nothing. Done nothing. We are people of the Word. We're people of the Word. And our text this morning tells us that people of the Word are doers of the Word. One of the jokes that I like to, um, and I'll probably do it too much, um, here's an example of how this goes. This past week I was at Alexian with a group of ministers from up here and uh, I'm sitting with one of the pastors from a church that we're, we have a great relationship with. And uh, uh, one of the folks from Alexian comes and says, oh, what, what church are you all from? And he, he introduces himself and says what church he's from. And then he introduces me. And here's what I get all the time. And he's like, yeah, this is Lewis. He's the pastor at the Bible church. And I said, yeah, that's right. The Bible church. Which I think is hilarious and, you know, that sort of thing. And as I was thinking this morning, you know, we, we were formed out of the desire to be a Bible teaching church. And so one of the things that should hit us heavy this morning as we're reading this text is that if we are people of the word, if we are teaching the Bible, if we are singing the Bible, if we are exposing ourselves to the word, then we should be. Doers of the word. As 
we've been going through, as we've been going through this text, we've seen a couple of things. So some look at these verses that we're covering this morning and says this is the theme of the book of James. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And you could, you could make that case. I think probably rightly you could make that case. The, the other thing that, that we, should, we should hear, and I mentioned it a little bit last week, but notice, notice what James is doing as he's writing. In verse 18, in the exercise of his will, this is God's will, God brought us forth by the word of truth. God saved us by the word of truth. And then we learned last week in verse 21, it says that not only did he save us by the word of truth, but in verse 21, we get this theme again. It says in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And we looked and we said that we're sanctified by that word of truth. And again, here this morning, we see this theme of the word coming back again, and it said, be doers of the word. You were saved by it. It's implanted in you. There's accountability over your life if you are a believer that you should be a doer of the word. You don't have the excuse that you don't know where the fish are or that you don't know how to catch them because you were saved by it and it's implanted in you. And this morning... This morning, as we look at this text, we're once again, every week in the book of James, brought to this place where there are two paths. There's not three. And we have to make the decision, are we going to do what the text says, or are we going to go a different way? God saved you. If you are a believer here this morning, If you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, God has saved you. He has brought you forth by the word of truth. He has opened your eyes to who Christ is. You've seen. You've tasted. We're called to live it out. And part of this logic is easy. Runners do what? You can answer. Runners run bakers good preachers haters I had just had to throw that in there a doctor whose goal is not to heal is really no doctor at all a father who doesn't parent is really no father at all. A patient who just comes and sits in the chair but really doesn't show up is really not a patient at all. And a Christian, a Christian who doesn't act, it's a hard place. Now, I want to be careful this morning as we look at this text. I want to be careful. There are verses all over the Bible that we could spend the rest of our morning quoting verses in the Bible about if you are my disciple, you will do my word. Those who love me, follow my commands. John 8 tells us something 
really close to this, that, that my, my disciples uh, do what I command them, and the truth sets them free. Or 1 John 2.19, that false disciples, they went out from us because they weren't of us. If they would have been of us, they would have stayed. And here this morning, we hear a refrain similar to this. Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude or deceive themselves. And I want you to hear this. If your life is marked by non-action, non-doing, you're probably not a believer. But I think our text this morning, I think our text this morning is talking to believers. Because James tells us this all throughout the text. In verse 2, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren. In verse 19, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren. And in chapter 2, verse 1, again, he says, My brethren. And so I think it's possible, and I think what James is talking about this morning is that it's possible as Christians that you can be deceived. And I want you to notice something about being deceived this morning. And that is this. Our text says, who deceive or delude themselves. Not Satan, not others, not false teachers, not the ways of the world. But in this situation, what James is talking about is that it, it is possible that we have deceived ourselves. And so I want to dig into something here, and I want to be very careful at the outset that you hear me correctly. In order to be a Christian, there are propositional truths that you have to believe. Christianity, following Christ, is not just some vague notion of vague principles of trying to love people and try to have a happy life. No, no, no. We believe in truths. We believe in facts. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life. He was killed. He was put on a cross. In three days, he rose from the grave. He was witnessed to all sorts of disciples. Then he ascended into heaven where right now he sits at the right hand of God. These are truths. They are essential truths. It is what we believe. It's what makes us Christians. We also believe this, that I was I am a sinner. I was born into sin and I sin. And that sin has separated me from God. And there is only one thing that bridges that gap from my position of being a sinner to reconciliation with God. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. There's only one way, faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We believe in propositional truths and, not but, and being a believer, having belief, having faith, is more than just a nod to facts. The Bible tells us over and over that if we are truly born again, if we truly have faith, if we truly believe that our belief has legs, it does something. 
later in this book, what we're going to see is that these works, they don't create faith. They don't earn favor with God, but works, actions are evidence that God is at work in us. That what we believe is that this faith doesn't just stay here. It works itself out. It is doing something in us. We are being changed. Again, we've been told in the book of James that the word is implanted in us. We are changed. And that's evidenced by what we do. Think about it. Paul calls this that those who are in Christ are a new creation. And he points to that we're a new creation because we're not who we were. There is something new. And you don't look any different when you come to know the Lord. Your outward appearance doesn't change. It's what's going on inside of you and what comes out of you that is different. Not only that, but believers... Not only are we a new creation, but the word tells us over and over again that as believers that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us. And what do you think the Holy Spirit does in us? Just lies there dormant? No, the Holy Spirit is at work in us producing something. This is why it's so important when you hear James say, receive the implanted word inside of you, because what we know is that the Holy Spirit takes that word and it changes us. And this Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit isn't some small Jiminy Cricket little voice. (laughs) This is the powerful spirit of God. That is at work inside of us, changing us, doing something inside of us. And so... And so, believers, if you are living in a way which you're not doing the Word, or maybe this morning that you came in thinking that just knowing a set of facts was enough, you are deceiving yourself, is what James tells us. The deception is that hearing Knowing and reading the word is enough. One of the great things that have has happened in our church over the years is that a lot of our young people have gone through Bible drill and they can get their Bible out and you can be like Nahum three and they're like two seconds. Boom. Got it. You know. But here's the deal. My Bible drillers. If that's all it is. It's not enough. Your daily Bible reading. Maybe you're disciplined and every morning you get up and you get in the word and you read the word. There's no change. There's no work. Something's wrong. I think about how often I. Sit in my office in the morning. And read the word of God. And then go throughout my day not being an effectual doer. But just somebody who checked something off of a list. James is calling us to be a doer and not just a hearer. So I want you to imagine something this morning. 
Imagine this morning that right after the service that we had a wedding, planned wedding. And that all of you are invited. And let's say it's a, it's a young couple that everybody here knows. And everybody here was just excited about this wedding. And we, it's, it's to the nines, right? Bride comes in, the groom is up here. They go through, they exchange the vows. They kiss, everybody claps. We sign the paper, the marriage license. We put it in the mail. It's off to, to be official. Then we celebrate this union. We just have this massive celebration of how great it is that God has brought these two people together and they have gotten married and this is awesome. And then, and then you, we go on a couple weeks, months, maybe even a year, and we realize that the husband's done something a little weird. They never moved in together. He never consummated the, the, the marriage. In fact, he rarely, if ever, even talks to his wife. You're like, well, this is weird. Let's make it even more strange. Let's say this husband walks around and all he talks about is how great his wife is. She's wonderful. Not only that, but let's say he goes to three marriage conferences a year. And he carries around books. He's read all of the latest books on marriage. And, and maybe he finds out that you're struggling a little bit in your marriage. He's like, hey, man. Take this book. It's really helped me out. Then what would you do if this same man was like, hey, listen, men of the church, I am really so invested in you having great marriages that what I want to do, I want to start a small group and we're going to get around and we're going to talk about marriage. What would you say? Hopefully you wouldn't attend that small group. <laughs> You would say, this man is deceived. He may be technically married, but he's not married. He doesn't know anything about what it means to be married. He's still living life the way he was before. He's not doing marriage. He just said, I do, and celebrated. James is wanting to wake us up this morning. Because as believers, we can fall into patterns that aren't that extreme, but we can fall into these patterns where we're just coasting in our Christian life. Where we hit these seasons of our life where we're not doing, but the distractions of the world, the distractions of the world and all of these things kind of choke out the reality of what's most important. And that's who you are in Christ and how that's changing you and how you're supposed to live that out. Look at verse 23 and 24. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and has gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Now, a lot of people have taken this verse and I think twisted it and used it in ways that James wasn't intending to use it. It's actually pretty simple, the point that James is trying to get across. There were mirrors in James' day and age. They were like made out of bronze, and so you could look at your face, and it was used, you know, for purposes we might use to maybe clean yourself up or this sort of thing. And so what James is saying is like the person who's just a hearer and not a doer is like somebody who looks at their face in the mirror and then goes on and forgets what kind of person he is. 
sees himself and goes on. It would be just like me this morning as a 44-year-old man looking at my face this morning, seeing the gray hair, seeing the hairs that are beginning to grow in places where I didn't think hair was supposed to grow, saying, man, you are 44. But then going away and spending the rest of the day like I was 18. Maybe involving myself in activities that would put me, you know, with a sore back and a torn hamstring the next morning. Or maybe even more serious, looking at myself, realizing I'm a 44-year-old man who's married and has four kids and has some responsibilities. But then I go and live like an 18-year-old, forgetting who I am. When a Christian looks in the mirror, what does he see? When a Christian looks in the mirror, he is to see a man or a woman who is loved by God. A man or a woman who is being changed from one degree of glory to another. He is to see a disciple. He is to see him or herself as a person who is on a mission who has been called by God, who has been saved, who has been brought into the family of God for a purpose and for a work to do. Jesus sums it all up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If you know nothing else, that's a big enough mission for you today. When a Christian looks in the mirror, he is to see himself or herself as salt, as light. And how often do we look in that mirror and we see ourselves and then we walk away and we forget. We forget what kind of person we are. One of the things that's striking about this passage that we will see is the goal here is not to look in the mirror and groom a better version of yourself. So the text doesn't say, a hearer only is like somebody who looks in the mirror, goes away, and then comes back and gazes in that mirror and fixes himself or herself. But many times we interpret it this way. And, and I want to give just another example. I've never done this in counseling. It might be a little cruel. It might be effective. But let's say that you came in and you were in need, you were in help, and you were really suffering, and you sat down in the chair... And let's say instead of speaking, instead of working through whatever issues you were working with, that what I did is I just got a big mirror and set it in front of you. I think probably for the first minute or two, like you'd probably like be fixing things. Ooh, shirt's wrinkled. Don't match. But I have a sneaking suspicion that if you sat there for an hour, One of the things that would begin to happen would be guilt. Frustration. Maybe as you looked in that mirror that past sins, weakness, failures, probably become pretty intense, I would Imagine. I think it'd be really uncomfortable and. You'd probably be left asking yourself, oh, man, can I get better? 
can I do any better? And I think sometimes pastors preach this text in that way. And it's interesting because they sometimes we don't look at the next verse. Notice there's no mirror in the next verse. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law. Now, this idea of looks intently just kind of means just that, like looking intently. This is the same word that's actually used when the the disciples were looking at the empty tomb. Not just a passing gaze, but they were looking in intently. This is the same word that Peter uses to talk about that, that there are things that the angels long to look at. And so this is kind of an intense look. And notice, it's not an intense look inwardly. (laughs) It's an intense look at the perfect law. And you have to ask the question. We should ask the question. What is the perfect law? Is it just the Ten Commandments? Is it the Old Testament? I I think it is pretty clear that what James is talking about by the way that he uses this phrasing is what they're looking at is the perfect law, the law of liberty, Christ. That Christ came to do what? To fulfill the law. And James, over and over again in the book of James, and you'll hear us talk about this, that James seems to be very aware of the Sermon on the Mount. And over and over again, we get these parallels of the Sermon on the Mount and what James is teaching. And so I think what James is bidding us to come and look at is we are to look at the works of And the words of Jesus. So we're not to look in a mirror. We are to look at the works and the words of Jesus. And you may say, wow, Lewis, you just made it worse. (laughs) Oh, brothers and sisters. It's not worse because it's not a mirror. It's much better because when we look at this law... When we look at Christ, we're not seeing a mirror, we're seeing a path. We're seeing a choice, we're seeing a road. We're to hear these words, go, do, follow. And notice, notice what James says. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of what? Bondage? No fun? Rain on your parade? No. James says, who looks at the law of liberty. The perfect law is the law of liberty. It's the law of freedom. I'm reminded as I hear this text of what Martin Luther said in his book, The Bondage of the Will, where Martin Luther says that That man's will is tied up in bondage until he is set free in Christ. And then he can choose the law of liberty, of freeness, of following Christ. And then at that point, we can be who God designed us to be. And this is great and wonderful and exciting and exhilarating news. That you can walk the path that Christ has set out before you. That you can become, you can take steps into being who he created you to be. 
This is joyful. And not only that, he doesn't leave us there. Who looks at the law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, who lives in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be what? Blessed. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus in preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Talks about a man who does the word of God, who's following the words of Christ, is like the man who builds his house on a what? Rock. He is blessed. And the man that doesn't, who chooses the other path, is like a man who builds his house where? On the sand. Thank you, Adelaide. As we studied the book of Mark, this phrase is, was used over and over again. We use this phrase over and over again, and I want to use it again here. That the man who is blessed is the man who denies himself and picks up his cross and follows Christ. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. There's no greater thing. There's no greater joy. There's no greater purpose. And yes, there is pain. And yes, it's hard. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Friday, I was having a pity party. <laughs> I had all this work to get done. I was a little bit behind on sermon prep. Um, I was having a pity party. Called a, I was talking to a friend of mine and was having my pity party with a friend of mine and because I had gotten distracted uh, towards something that needed to be taken care of. And my friend told me, it's worth it. And it just reminded me of this text. It reminded me of this text as I was tempted to not be a doer, but to be a consumer and make all these excuses to why I just needed to chill out and relax and not do this thing that needed to be done. These words of my friend were just so good. Because it was like these words from James, it's worth it worth it so will you look at the perfect law will you look at christ will you look at this law of liberty and will you look at this path that's set before you and will you declare will you know in your heart that it's worth it and will you be a doer of the word and i think sometimes we spend all this time trying to figure out what is it that god wants me to do When there are all sorts of things that God has for us to do. You catch my drift. We get so preoccupied with what's the next move with job? What's the next move with school? Should I date this person? Should I date that person? Wherever you are in life. What God has for you and what he set out for you. What's right in front of you. Is to be a doer of the word. To be salt. To be light. To love. To proclaim his word. Or will you be a forgetful hearer and deceive yourself? And so you have to ask yourself the question. You have to ask yourself the question. Because like every week for the past month or so. We've got to place ourselves in the chair. 
We've got to ask ourselves, what kind of man are we going to be? Are we going to be like the man that I talked about in the beginning? Who comes in, whose life is a mess, and there's a path forward, but never does anything? Or, are you going to look, see, hear, do, and live? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you tell us that your word does not return void. God, we all. We all hit spurts in our lives and times where. We are just hearers of the word. God, I pray. That even today. Hearing the voice of your servant, James. God, that you'll prick our hearts. That you'll do the work that Josh was talking about as he prayed moments ago. And that we would be a people. Who joyfully. Courageously. Labor. As doers of the word. This is only possible through your son, Jesus. Who died to set us free. It's in his name we rejoice. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.